Turn with me to 1 Peter. Let's begin reading in verse 1. And I, I want you to be mindful, these are words written specifically for you and I. So listen to them and apply them to your life specifically. Therefore, laying aside all malice. Now, do you know what malice is? Hurt feelings that acts like a spoiled brat. How many of you ever had your feelings hurt? Did it not adjust your behavior? It's really hard to hide a fence. To do so, you have to practice religion. To do so, you have to put on a facade. You have to put on a veil. You have to schmooze. You have to smile. To fake smile. And truthfully, to hide malice, you have to operate in guile. Guile is not outright lying, but it is putting on a facade itself. And so the Bible commands us as Christians to lay aside all malice. So anytime you get offended, just know that that's a hotbed and an incubation for malice. Malice is wicked. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. We, we get the word malicious from the word malice. When you're malicious, your behavior towards someone is fueled by malice and you want to hurt them or undermine them. Lots of times when you can't physically hurt somebody because of malice, you will run them down verbally. You have malicious gossip, malicious slander, malicious talk. You won't speak highly of people that have offended you. And often, most of the time, when you're immature, the number one person you talk to when you've been offended is not God. It's somebody as carnal as you, who you can pull alongside you in your flesh fest. And you can commiserate in malice. And you'll find someone who's weak, carnal, sensual, devilish, who will aid and abet your malicious speech. Because if you were to find someone spiritual, they'd say, why don't you shut up and let's pray? That's what spiritual people do. Well, they may have hurt your feelings. Or that boss may have rebuked you for being a lazy Tennessean. But you know what? You should be thankful you're not unemployed and living in the homeless tents. So why don't we shut up and pray for your boss? You won't get around those kind of people because you're not ready to be mature. I find that people addicted to malice, they are allergic to maturing. It's almost like a comfort blanket that some child won't give up when it's time to give up the comfort blanket. You won't let go of malice or offense because you're not willing to grow up yet. Now, Paul said in Corinthians, he said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child, I spake as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So that means becoming a man or a woman is a decision. And to do so means you have to put away immature things. Not every adult with hair that must be shaved is willing to grow up. That's why we call them hairy babies. Still a baby in their heart, baby in their behavior, baby in their attitude, baby in their emotions, baby in their malice. We had a Nerf gun war in my household last night. Miss Manda is ruthless. She doesn't have a problem shooting her own kids in the face. <laughs> but when the kids couldn't cheat the way they wanted to cheat or their siblings cheated the way they wanted to cheat, little malice flared up. They wanted to take their toys, scream, quit. In which case, you know what mom and dad does? 
we cock the gun and shoot them in the face or the chest or somewhere just to say, be quiet. We're all having fun till you turned a little immature baby. Get your act together. We're putting up the Nerf of war. It's okay when you're four, eight, and 10. But when you're on your own, you can drive, you pay your bills, you're spirit-filled, you're discipled four services a week, and you still act this way? What's your problem? What's your problem? What's your excuse? When will you grow up? I am convinced as a pastor, I'm jaded in this regard, some Christians will never grow up. They don't want to. They want to be the focal point of every conversation, every dinner conversation. They, it's all about them because they're addicted to themselves. The greatest idol of our nation is selfism. It's all about them. them. They'll never be a servant because it's all about them. Even in their service, it's got to be about them. They got to post it or they got to get the title they want. They have to get the attention they want. If you were wise, you'd want no attention at all. You would do everything with as little people knowing about you as possible because you don't really want attention because the kind of attention this world has to give you is not biblical. When will you grow up and put away malice and hurt feelings? Dr. Barclay, my pastor, because you know I have one. Some of you don't. I kind of measure this church between members and sheep pastored. We probably run 250 now with all the children. I don't pastor 250 people. Of the adults, let's see, we have about 100 people under the age of 18. I don't necessarily pastor them. It's not my job. It's their parents' job. That leaves about 150 adults. I probably pastor, honest to goodness, a third of that. So you all come to a strong church, but I probably pastor actually a third of you. It's not a good statistic, but it's better than having a megachurch when you don't even know your people. I wouldn't boast having a megachurch in the day that we live in as if that's something to be proud of. Anyway, when you finally decide to grow up, you won't get offended anymore. Offense is the indicative characteristic that you're yet carnal, immature, and selfish. Now, offense is like drugs. It's going to be offered to you. You can just say no. It's like porn. It'll be offered to you. You can just say no. But some of you are more addicted to offense than you are. Others are porn and drugs. Offense is a choice. And you choose to be offended. And the second you allow offense to take root, your life is put on pause in Christ. You go no further. So think about the last time you were majorly offended, if it's not resolved, that's where you stopped growing. Is it 10 years ago, two days ago, five years ago, 20 years ago? I think there might be some mercy from God in that if I'm offended on the job, I only am hindered on my job and maybe hopefully doesn't carry over to my church life or my home life or my parenting life. But I believe you can be so offended that the weight of that sin pulls every area of your life down. And you can't advance. Hebrews calls it the root of bitterness that springs up and troubles many, many people, many things. Now, the problem with roots of bitterness is that they're always going to be there, and you have to keep your garden tended. You know this time of year you can blink twice, and all of a sudden your flower bed or your garden's overtaken with weeds that weren't there Saturday. 
Same with our heart. And if you sit on it another week or two, you can possibly lose the whole garden because those weeds will take over. And all it took for you was to do nothing. And all your momentum was lost because you were too lazy and immature to do something about the weed of offense. Now you can get offended for a lot of different things. You can get offended because someone called you a racial slur. Grow up. You can get offended because somebody makes fun of your weight. Grow up. You can get offended because somebody pokes at your kid. Grow up. You can be offended because your spouse mistreated you or said something you didn't like. Grow up. You stick with the Word of God and you speak to your emotions. You speak to them because your emotions are totally subject to you. Offense is an emotion. You speak the Word of God to your mind, your will, and your emotions. You have to get over offense. It is a choice. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law. Could be the Word of God. You can use it interchangeably. We know the New Testament is full of commandments. 230 laws of the Old Testament are quoted directly in the New Testament, apply to the New Testament believer. Great peace have they which love thy law. Peace is the opposite of offense. So when you're full of the peace of God, when you're full of Jesus, someone can call you a racial slur and you can say, man, I feel bad for them. What a weirdo, ignorant bigot. And somebody can make fun of your weight. You're too fat or you're too skinny. And you can say, man, you're so full of the peace of God. I feel sorry for them. What's wrong with them that they have to make fun of me? Right. Or, you know, you're so full of the love of God, your spouse comes home cranky, ornery, or whatever. And you say, man, I really feel bad for them. How can I pray for them? Because if they were in their right mind, they would not speak to me this way. So this thing called offense is a choice. It's also the bait of Satan. There's a famous book written on it called The Bait of Satan. And if you abide on it, there's no telling how far you're going to go with offense because offense gets set really deep. And in order to, offend, uh, to, to be free from offense, you have to forgive. And that's what we often don't want to do. We have to cough up that hook and drop the charges against the bigot, against the bully, against the cranky spouse, the pastor. You have to drop the charges and say, Lord, I forgive. I forgive them. It could be the bigot didn't mean anything by it. You just judged them to be a bigot. It could be the person who made something comment about your weight wasn't trying to put you down. They were trying to build you up, but you misunderstood it. Could be your spouse was cranky, and you were the one that was even crankier in return. It was a return service on the volley. So do we ever bother to judge it from both angles? So we don't forgive for their sake at all. Never. We forgive completely and totally for our sake. Because we hold offense, but... They may be totally innocent. Now, sometimes they may not be, but either way, we don't know. We drop the charges because offense will keep you in the past when the event took place. And every time you go back and revisit it in your mind, you add to it. All sorts of studies in psychology on the ability to, mem uh, to remember memories always morph. We've all experienced it. You go back and visit a childhood home and you're like, I don't remember it being this small. I don't remember it being this big. I don't remember. It seemed like it was bigger than this or nicer. I remember it differently because your mind keeps adding to it. Same with the offense holding you back wherever it was. It wasn't fully like you remembered it, but you were so emotional in the moment or got offended. Sometimes it's a fiery dart hitting that one weak spot only the enemy knows is there. 
We never negate the concept of the spirit realm. A lot of Christians, their doctrine stinks because they never add into the demonic element or the spiritual element. And to try to do the Bible without understanding the spirit realm behind all of this is lunacy because we do wrestle with principalities. We don't look for them everywhere, but they are there. So you have to be mindful that if you're going to grow up, you have to lay aside malice, malicious intentions. When you're offended, you can always tell because it changes the way you see people. It always changes your respect or your estimation of people. It's why gossip is so powerful. It's why slander is so powerful. It's why propaganda is so powerful. Whoever gets to your ear first has your heart. That's why you guard your ears. And we'd say eyes in this day of technology and YouTube videos and tweets and all that. Guard your eyes because, you know, it gets to your soul the same way. So you have to be careful who has your ear because whoever has your ears will hold your heart in their hand. And that's why we bring it back to the word. And we speak the word of God and we say, no emotion, shut up. The Bible says here to forgive. No emotion, shut up. The Bible says to drop the charges. The Bible says forgive even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We don't have permission to hold charges against anybody. Amen. So it says, therefore, laying aside all malice and all guile. So no guile is acceptable. But we said, remember, when you're malicious and you got to put on a show, that in itself is guile. It's also religion. You're living the life from behind a mask. Everything okay? Oh, yes. Bless God. Are, you, are we all right? Yeah, yeah. It's under the blood. What? Oh, nothing, nothing. Under the blood. <laughs> No, what they're thinking is, I want to hold you under the blood. <laughs> and hypocrisies. Well, anytime you hold malice, you're a hypocrite because you've hurt somebody else and you expected them to forgive you and drop the charges and move on like it never happened, especially after you repented nine times. I have found it's nearly impossible to appease offended people, those that live in offense. They have become addicted to offense. It's their comfy blanket. They don't even know how to live life without being offended because it gives them cause. It gives them the vigor and the venom they need to exist and get up. It's their cup of coffee in the morning. It gives them the victim mindset that you don't understand. It gives them an excuse to not have to change and line up with the gospel. I'll say it again. We all live way better than 99% of the world. And as much maybe trauma as we have in this church, it isn't our entire population like it is in some parts of the world. And we didn't get breakfast out of a landfill this morning or a dumpster this morning. We're very blessed. None of us have the excuse to not go on in Christ and to grow up in the word and in doctrine and in scripture and in love and in the gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit. The only reason Christians don't grow up is because they don't want to. And if you want to, then you, by faith, do the Bible, which often can be very uncomfortable. It means having hard conversations. I appreciate it. I had a church member call me this week and we were talking about something. They said, can you help me? So-and-so doesn't like me in the church. And I've asked them why they don't like me. And they've kind of given me an answer, but I don't feel like it's true. I said, well, I'll go ask them. So I went and asked them and I got the answer. The answer was pretty rough. So I called them back and said, I got your answer for you. They don't like you. And here's three reasons. Pretty ruthless, but that's an honest conversation. We're such Southerners, we have these facades of pleasantry and nothing ever gets resolved. So when somebody actually does sling truth at us, we don't know how to handle it because we've been lied to by mama our whole life. And grandma and daddy taught us to put on a happy face, even though we were hurting. 
We have to be able to be honest with one another and understand that honest words may hurt your flesh, but they won't hurt your life. And we're supposed to crucify the flesh anyway. You ought to be able to get to a place where words don't hurt you anymore. No racial slur. As long as the devil knows you're a sucker for a racial slur, that's as far as you'll go in life. As long as that N-word is Lord in your life, you'll never go any further. Because the second you start to advance, the devil will put some kind of racist, bigot, ignoramus around you. He'll just slow, he'll sling N-word at you like a machine gun. And you'll never go any further because then that demon will reactivate your racial animosity, your offense, and your victim mindset. And then you have to start all over again. If it's mommy issues or daddy issues, if you don't ever get the victory over that, the second you start to get momentum, the enemy will activate daddy and mommy issues. Fear will creep in. You'll, you won't want to be open to anybody because the way mom or dad treat you, etc., and you'll fall apart. If it's any other issue, is if it's a word that hurts you, if it's a statement that hurts you, if it's an expression that hurts you, why do you have more faith in that than you do the Word of God? We ought to love truth so much we'll receive it from anything, even a dog that's been taught to bark it at us. <laughs> Some of us, maybe we need a dog that follows us around that just says, we're wrong. You're wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're wrong. And you can learn to hear it from somebody. <laughs> Put away envies and all evil speakings. One of the most egregious sins we commit is with our mouth, whether it's vile language, coarse jesting, gossip, slander, go uh, uh, gossip, just outright lying. We have a whole curriculum on the sins of your mouth. And it uh, certainly hinders our lives, especially then we want to turn around and tell somebody we love them. Are you sure? Because you just told everybody else gossip, slander, and lies. How can I trust you? We know, I should back up, we have trouble trusting God's word because we don't even trust our own words. Verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby as newborn babes. So here's permission to be a babe in one aspect. You're always hungry for the simple, sincere gospel. The gospel is Jesus dying, Jesus being uh, resurrected and ascending. The gospel is also doing the word of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Newborn babes always want a nurse. And those of us that have had children, we know that they pack on the weight very quickly. In fact, they even measure you, even tug-tug. That's a fat little boy. He's huge. Mama's already counting calories. He's just a year old. That's how big that boy is. I don't think it's working because the boy keeps getting bigger. If you ever held tug-tug and you heard his stomach growl, then he turns and looks at you, you're in trouble. He's going to eat your nose. He's going to grab an earlobe. That kid's... Don't stand between tug-tug and food. That's, that's a big boy. But babes are hungry. All they, all they know, their, their nature is hunger, eat, hunger, eat. And that sincere milk has so much fat in it. They pack on the weight. It has the nutrients, the vitamins. It, it fortifies them. We don't stay there. But this is a place where the, the scriptures call us back to a simplicity. The sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Verse 4, to whom coming unto the Lord as unto a living stone, 
disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Verse 5, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Now here's the frustration of a pastor. Every pastor's job is to take the individual who is the lively stone and use you to build up a spiritual house for God. Ephesians 2 calls it being built up a habitation for God through the Spirit. We come together to make a habitation for God. That requires helps ministry. It requires bed babies and, and uh, toddlers and security and van ministry. Everything that comes together so we can come and corporately assemble to become a habitation for God through the Spirit. When this church is empty, there is a, a residue anointing. But when the church is full, there's a greater anointing of God because God falls and inhabits his people like he did in the tabernacle, like he did in the temple. Moses would go into the tabernacle of congregation and God's presence would come down. Moses would leave, God's presence would go up. Same with the temple. God's presence would come down, they'd be done. God's presence would go back up. God's presence comes here when we come together as lively stones to be built up a habitation for God. This allegory makes all of us a lively stone, which harkens back to the building of Solomon's temple. The frustrating thing for a pastor is God gives me raw building material and my job is to chisel and saw. And when you're immature, chiseling is ouchy. And yet I have the blueprint, as do you. It's called the Bible. And I've got to figure out where you fit in this holy habitation by recognizing the grace of God on your life, your talents, your abilities, where I need you at the moment, what God's doing with us, and be able to chisel. It becomes very maddening when you chisel someone who claims they want to build the kingdom and they get offended when you point out, I'm going to knock off this little selfish thing over here because it doesn't fit with our blueprint. And I go to go, tink, tink, how dare you, pastor? Well, I'm sorry. You, you already said you want to be part of the kingdom. Amen. You said with your own mouth, I'm just judging you by the words like my Savior does. Out of your words, you'll be justified. Out of your words, you'll be condemned. By the words of your mouth, you'll be condemned. You said you want to be a part of us. You know our standard. You know what we're trying to do here. I just need you to be smoother on that side. Chink, chink. Nope, stop. How dare you, pastor? How dare you touch that sinful, carnal, selfish aspect of my life? Well, I'm sorry. You don't know your job description. I do know yours and mine. We're to be built up a habitation for God and the Spirit. So if you can imagine a big construction site, we have Jesus Christ, the living stone, the cornerstone, disallowed of men, but chosen of God, indeed and precious. He's in his place and we're told to be like him. If Jesus was like some of you, we'd never know where to build because some of you come and go as you see fit, chasing your dreams, your whims, and your Americana. So we can't build with you. So you're stones that populate the building site, but we can't build with you yet because you haven't decided to grow up yet. To grow up, I've got to be able to chisel you. The elders have got to be able to chisel you. The deacons have got to be able to chisel you. The preaching has got to be able to chisel you. You have to be able to want to submit. This works in every arena of life, but when we try to do it in the church where it's designed, it's called a cult. If you want to play on the ball team, the coach and the trainers will tell you what you need to do to get your game up to a level where you can be used. Otherwise, you will warm a bench and sip on a Gatorade bottle, which some of you seem hell-bent on doing the rest of your Christian walk. 
You just want to warm a bench in this church and sip on whatever koozie you brought to service this time. Because you sure don't want to be discipled. You sure don't want to grow up out of your offense. You sure don't want to let go of that dream of yours. A little Middle Tennessee weird mid-20s, mid-2000s dream. When you're a living stone and you've submitted to the cause of Christ, he puts you a place and then he builds on top of you and you don't get to move anymore. And that's called submission to Jesus Christ. You don't get to be a vagabond. You don't get to be a, 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 a transplant. You don't get to be a little tramp. If God does move you, it takes a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of announcements. If we needed to take out this post right here that has kindly supported this building since at least the 1920s, when this part of the church right here, this used to be a bus station right through here. Buses ran right through here. This was the old foundation wall right here. And whenever they, they covered this in, I think it was in the 20s, they had to put this I-beam and new support. This support's been more faithful than most Christians will ever know. It's a lively pillar, disallowed of men, but indeed chosen of God. And all of you benefit from it, though none of you pay attention to it, which is the testimony of a real servant. A real servant doesn't need a title. A real servant doesn't need recognition. A real servant will bless many people, though no one will ever know they're there. So I'm thankful for this pillar. I'm thankful for his twin, this pillar. Between the two of them, they hold up the whole of this back half of the sanctuary. But if for whatever reason God called this pillar to another church, we'd have to announce it in advance. Say, hey, you know what? God has called this pillar here to another church. We feel good about it. The elders feel good about it. The deacons feel good about it. We've prayed with them. It's been about six months in the planning. So coming next week, the sanctuary is going to be a mess. We've got to put some jacking around this because we've got to take them out. But we also have to replace them. And so it's going to be a little chaotic, a little hectic as we transition and send Brother Pillar off to the first church of the move of God by the brook, by the way, by the creek, <laughs> in Christ. <laughs> and God has already answered our prayer, and we're promoting brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so into this position of leadership. And so it's going to be a smooth transition, and we're all going to be able to rejoice about it. This pillar doesn't just to get to disappear like a teenage brat and just say something that's carnal as, well, I got offended, and I'm not coming back. That's a baby. But God made babies smart. They can't run. They can't even crawl. They just kind <laughs> of wiggle and then cry, repent for their little babiness, and then mama picks them up and says, There, there, little baby. There, there. I got 13 more years to fix you until you turn 13. If we're going to be living stones, we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't get to come and go as we please. We don't care if people know our name. We don't care what title we go by. This, this building is made out of old brick, brick that was recycled from the old motel down there that was torn down 140 years ago. Nobody knows the names of these bricks. Nobody cares. Most of the bricks are covered up. And they don't get to leave when they want to. They're committed to their cause and they're content in Christ. And they didn't have any say when that bricklayer picked them up. He probably didn't even pay much attention to them, slung mortar on them, put them in place, 
Tap, 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 tap. The attention paid to that brick was all of about 30 seconds, if even that, to a good bricklayer. And then another brick was laid beside it. And then they were buried. And the bricklayer doesn't even remember his name. Now, thank God God remembers our name. But my point is, you don't get to come and go and be offended and pick your highs and pick your lows. You have a commitment to Christ and you show up so we can be a holy habitation of God through the Spirit. We don't have this entertainment attitude. We don't have this belly aching attitude. I got my feelings hurt. I can't get past this. You know, sister so-and-so said this to me. I was mistreated by Mr. AJ. You know, they won't let me run the cameras. What is that to you? This is not middle school. This isn't social media. We don't get to this carnival. I'm just going to unfollow you. That's what you did with Jesus. Why would we care if you unfollowed us? You unfollowed him years ago. We need to make sure that if we're going to be like our Lord Jesus, that we are lively stones. That also means you're joyful, got a smile on your face. doesn't say boring, doesn't say dead. A lively stone built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I don't know, maybe you knew this or not, being offended is not spiritual being offended does not build a holy priesthood. Being offended does not help make a spiritual house. This morning, you need to judge yourself and figure out if you're a lively stone called to this local building project, and there are lots of building projects all around the world. They're called local churches. If you're called to this local building project, are you still just a stone in the, in the job site? And that's okay if you just got here and we're figuring out where to put you. Or if you've been here, say, you know, 25 years and you're still chasing your own thing, coming and going as you please, wondering why your life's going nowhere. I'll tell you why it goes nowhere because you're not committed to being a lively stone. You're still believing that you're a stone that can just roll anywhere you want to and find the blessing of God wherever your little career takes you. We don't chase careers. We've been taught better than that. We don't chase the money. Every one of you will have to pass the mammon test. And that's where your boss threatens to fire you if you don't take his transfer when you know full well you're called to this church or that church. When I was a youth pastor in Knoxville, I had a very up-and-coming, flourishing career in geology. It's part of the upstart of an international firm. I was the third, no, I was the second geotechnical hire, and they were hiring people from all over very quickly, very international team. I was the youngest and least qualified, but that's how they hired me in. And I quickly excelled. And I was a youth pastor, and I quickly excelled at that. Pastor Vaughn actually prophesied that phase of my life over me. I was visiting this church because I had a spiritual father and a pastor in those days. Still have both. I don't just come to church and have someone I call by name. I actually submit in my heart. When you have someone you submit to in your heart, they're able to do more things for you. I know when I can't chisel on stones anymore, and I don't bother. Why would I waste the time? If I chisel you one more un, un, uh, unapproved chance, I, I risk losing you off the job site. I'll leave you on the job site, hope you grow up. I'll focus on those that want chiseling, and I'll build with them. So my pal was actually visiting this, our church. I was living in Knoxville. Pastor Vaughn was still alive. I was sitting over here where Alan and Roy are at. And Pastor Vaughn stopped in the middle of a service and said, Chris McMichael, the Lord just spoke to me and said, um, change is coming to your life. He said, that could be geographical. I don't believe so. He said, change 
and promotion. Big change and big promotion is coming. And within a six-month period of time, I got this huge job, and then I was promoted to youth pastor at my church. So that's a big, those are massive steps at the age of 25. It doesn't take long to be promoted in the kingdom if you're faithful and not chasing your dream. So I'm being promoted, and the career's taking off, and we're doing bigger jobs and doing international jobs. And, and uh, my boss, the Pakistani, who was a very good boss, he had a bead on a huge job for Virginia DOT that was going to be 20 miles of a very curvy road widening through the mountains, which would have been a geologist's dream. And he called me into his office, and he said, what do you think about moving to Virginia? And I said, I mean, it came out of my mouth very quickly, I don't, ever. It's never crossed my mind, move her to Virginia. Virginia's for lovers, and that's a dumb license plate logo anyway. He said, well, we have a bid on a big job, and I want you to move there and manage it, which instantly meant I'd have to step down from serving Pastor Darren and the youth leadership. And God didn't tell me to. So I'm not chasing geology. I'm not chasing money. I'm not chasing a career. He said, what? You don't want to? I said, no, I don't want to. He said, well, I'll give you a promotion and a raise. I said, that doesn't matter to me. I'm not moving to Virginia. Bobber was his name. He's very cutthroat, very aggressive, always got what he wanted. And I don't know if he'd ever heard no like that. I wasn't rude, but I said, sir, no, I'm, I'm not moving. He said, what if I threatened to fire you? And I thought, well, that's a joke because that was like the first six months of my career. So at this point, I got calluses. Yeah. I'll believe it when I, I didn't say it. But I believe it when I see it. I said, well, fire me, sir, but I'm not moving. And in my heart, my heart is I'm called to Pastor Darren. I'm called to Faith Family Church. I'm a youth leader. And God didn't speak to me to move for rocks. So he sat there quietly. He got really irritated at me. And I understand it. He said, you know, this is going to kill your career. And I said, well, I realize it probably won't promote me, but you don't understand. I'm not moving for a job. I didn't explain to him. He was a Muslim. He may have understood it, but I didn't explain that I'm a youth leader and I'm called to a pastor and God assigned me to that pastor and I'm helping him build his church and I'm helping him build his ministry and I'm helping build the kingdom. And well, the meeting was done. He was angry and I got really nervous because the spirit of God leaves you nervous when you stand bold like that. And so I began to go through the Rolodex of mine. I could call Salisbury at SNME. He might hire me. I can call over at Law. I could call over. Maybe these guys would hire me. I could call Geotech back. They might hire me. So I start working it up, working up. And um, I was nervous for about a week or two or three. And then nothing ever happened. Nothing ever came of it. I was never approached again. And even 10 years later, they never got the contract. I'm convinced if I had said yes, we would have gotten the contract and I'd have been out of the will of God. Now, God's merciful. I could have moved to Virginia and been so absolutely miserable, put in a two-week notice and said, I'll go flip burgers back in Knoxville to serve Pastor Darren again. But I passed the mammon test and money has never moved me since. Every one of you is going to have to pass that test if you're going to be different than the way America makes people. This nation runs on money and careers and dreams and ambitions. It's called the American dream. Six billion people are trying to get in on it. You have to decide, 
I am a stone assigned to a building site to build a holy habitation for God in the spirit. And if that's where I call, that's where I'm going to be. And it's not enough to sit on a pallet of other bricks. Everybody ever seen one of those job sites? The house is finished, but there's still pallet, two pallet, two rick of brick laying there. Big old pile of siding. There's always, every job site has a huge pile of sand somewhere. And you know, the contractors don't even bother to dispose of the cement bags. They're just blowing through the neighborhood because that's how Cookful rolls. Huh. Yeah. You could, some of you have come to this church 25, 30 years and you're still on the pallet. And you did good by getting to the right job site. But here's the question I ask everywhere I go and I pose to all my ministry friends and we talk about it. If every stone in this church was you, could I build anything with it? If every person was as faithful as you, could God abide here? God doesn't show up the same in every church he goes to. God doesn't even go to every church anymore. Every church has a different abiding presence of God. They have different strengths, different weaknesses. Those aside, if every lively stone in this church had your testimony, would we advance and take more of the world for Christ? Or would we have to dial back circle the wagons and figure out what in the world are we going to do? Now you can answer that pretty easily. And if every stone, that means person in this church lived for Jesus like you do, and this, it caused our church to go backward, repent. You owe Jesus Christ a severe apology and a life change. Now maybe you've come in and you're coming up. Praise the Lord. I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. Say, hey, man, I found, I got this. There's a stone in this church. I'm, I want my marriage like their marriage. I want my money like their money. I want my walk with God like their walk with God. I want to be a soul winner like them. You're coming up. That's awesome. But you've been here 20 years. You've been here 10 years. You've been here five years, and you're still a rock on a pallet. We can't even touch you because you get offended when the chisel comes out. The sermons start getting a little hot and heated, and you start getting real nervous. The chisel may not be for you. And with that attitude, it'll never be for you. And what we'll do is just kind of turn you into a yard decoration. The Upper Cumberland knows how to use trash as yard decorations. Tires, tractor tires. Farmers don't let anything waste. Oh, we just burned a couple tires. Let's make a, make a swimming pool on that tire. Koi fish pond. <laughs> Maybe we'll use you as the yard decorum. We got an old millstone as yard decorum out here. They couldn't even finish building with it. The rock was so crummy, so fractured and fissured that you could see the millstone right here in that little grassy area. The guys found it somewhere and took about 100 of them to get it out of the woods. There's about four or five of them and a mule, not a real mule, like a four-wheel drive mule. But you can look at the rock. It's a churdy limestone. They began chiseling on it and they flipped it over and the rock won't support its usefulness. So it was discarded. It never finished being chiseled upon, and so it's a yard decoration now. Never saw mill be crushed into grits. That's what millstones are used for. What will you do as a lively stone? Can God build with you? What limits God from chiseling on you? We're called to be servants. Servants don't take things personal. That, that Pakistani boss, Bobber, was ruthless. 
He cussed me on a regular basis, cussed my God on a regular basis, threatened to fire me on a regular basis, but he paid great dividends. Now, thankfully, God is not a hostile Pakistani engineer, but he is severe. He was accused of such in the Gospels, and he didn't repent at all. He said, you knew I was a hard man. You knew I was severe and austere. You knew I reap where I don't sow and I gather where I have not cast. You then should have made some adjustments to your life. I've never seen the Lord repent to anybody in the whole of the Bible because he asked them to do something that made them fearful. He's God. He knew his request was going to provoke fear. And he said, do it anyway. Oh, Gideon. Oh, Moses. Do it anyway, David. Do it anyway, Samuel. Do it anyway. You are also lively stones built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Therefore, also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded or ashamed. When you believe on Jesus, it brings a tremendous confidence to you. Believing on Jesus produces a tremendous confidence. You can believe or you can mentally think upon, and they're two totally different things. Years ago, there was a huge theological discussion and, and sermon series that would go around saying, is it faith or mental assent? Do you believe in God or you just know about him? Because when you believe in God, there's a confidence and a courage. There's no shame. When all you do is know about him, well, you can know about Muhammad and you can know about Joseph Smith and you can know about the Hindu gods and you can know about uh, anybody else that will send you to hell. But when you know God and you believe in him, you will not be ashamed. Now come back here to Philippians chapter 4 and let me show you something that's in parallel to this. 1 Peter 2, Philippians chapter 2, I said 4, I think, Philippians 2. 1 Peter 2 just said, he's a lively stone, we also are lively stones. He's the chief cornerstone, and then we build based after his pattern. So it says, be like Jesus. If he's set in Zion, we're going to be set. He isn't movable. We're thankful that our faith in Christ is unshakable because he is the rock that cannot be moved. Now you can't say as much about the little pebbles called Christians. You just look at them wrong when you're preaching. They'll get nervous and won't come back tonight. You don't believe how many pastors have to deal with that. You were looking at me when you said that. I have to look at somebody. <laughs> Well, we talked about it seven months ago, and you brought it up this morning. Sweetie, I have hundreds of conversations every day. You remember the one I had with you because it's the first time you've talked to me in six years. So I'm sorry if you remember the day, the hour, the moment that we spoke for five minutes seven months ago, but your sin is very common, and I just had to sling it out that morning. So obviously and evidently, you're still in it because it landed that hard in your lap. You betrayed my trust. You, you, you trusted me to begin with? I couldn't tell the, um, the way you were unfaithful, not dependable, 
full of infidelity. I didn't know you trusted me. You betrayed my trust because we had a five-minute conversation for the first time in six years, seven months ago, and I mentioned what we talked about. You don't think somebody else in the church is dealing with that? How about the two people I talked about it yesterday, and they asked me, can you preach on this tomorrow? And I said, sure. Those are the folks that get help. But you know what? Same chisel. Same chisel. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Anywhere there's strife, run away from it. Anybody that produces strife, mark them, have nothing to do with it. Vainglory means you do it so you can be seen. Insecure people do things to be seen. Insecure people want the biggest title on their emails and the biggest title on their business cards. <laughs> they, they might as well just say... Biggest daydreaming grand poobah chief sultan in charge. Nobody cares. Nobody even reads your email tagline. I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> but it's important to insecure people. You going to throw your pronouns on there too? Here be pride. Those are your pronouns. Here be pride. <laughs> A pastor friend of mine this week lit me up with our pastoral chat. He kept calling me McMichaels. So I texted him back. I said, my pronouns are he, him, not they, them. I am singular. Please adjust my name in your phone. I thought that was funny. They, them would be McMichaels. He thought it was funny. Apparently you guys don't get pastoral humor. I am a McMichael. I am a he, him, singular. I've never been confused about it. I stand to pee. That clears it up for me. I need to put that on a bumper sticker. I stand to pee. That's clear enough for me. We can have pink ones that say, I squat to pee. Clear enough for me. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. That's servitude. When you're a lively stone that's never moved off the job site to a position of usefulness, you're still just living for yourself. Look not every man on his own things. That means you don't get to chase dreams. But every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So just like 1 Peter 2 says, he's a stone, you be a lively stone. This is saying the same thing. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was God and didn't think it was wrong to be God because he's God. And yet he made himself of no reputation that will solve pride issues. That'll solve embarrassment issues. That'll solve shame issues. You're only ashamed because you're worried about what people will think. Now, there is a good shame you can have towards God. Lord, I'm ashamed of what I did. I've sinned against you and you alone. But once you repent, he forgives. Shame is gone. If shame lingers, that's called condemnation. We speak to that according to 1 John. We convince ourselves, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows all things. And hereby shall we encourage or assuage ourselves. Once... 
You resolve that you have no reputation. You can't be embarrassed. You don't care what your title is. You're happy to serve anybody and everybody. You don't just pick and choose the bigwigs to serve. Some folks like to serve as long as they're famous people. Some folks like to serve as long as it's the pastor or maybe his wife. But I won't serve anybody else because there's no reward in it. I mean, you do realize I put my pants on like the rest of you do, right? I jump off my bed in a front flip and pull them on, land in a superhero pose while I pull my ninja sword out and say, ka-chow. <laughs> yeah, no reputation. Take a, he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He did not think it was robbery to be God, but he decided to take upon him the form of a servant. He had to be stripped of some things. We know he lost his deity or that, in that regard. Now, we, we don't deny the hypostatic union of God. He was fully God, fully man, but we know he was born of a virgin, the seed of Abraham, and all points like as we, tempted like as we, yet without sin. But he had to lay aside his deity to take upon him humanity. You're going to have to be stripped of some things too. He was never sinful. Chiseling gets sin out of our life. He never needed to be chiseled like that. He did learn things by going through suffering. But we see he took upon him the form. Right now, our form is not what it needs to be. We need to be chiseled some more. But if you keep getting offended at chiseling, you're going to stay the weird cookful form you've always been. And your answer is not running away. The solution is not flee. I'm going to find somebody that can use me. They're not going to be able to use you the way you are. We can't use you the way we are. We love you more than they do because we know you. And we still can't use you because you're a weird shape. That's not a fat joke. That is a personality, sin issue, attitude issue, training issue. We have to be able to chisel you. Even a good uh, uh, carpenter today will take that piece of two by four and he'll have to trim it, shave it. If it's a real tight fit, he'll get a little chisel out. He'll hand chisel it so it fits right where it needs to. It always, the building materials have to be shaped for the carpenter. Very rarely do you pull a two by four out and say, that'll work just like it is especially if you buy it at Lowe's. You put it up, it's like, well, if we're building the hull of a ship, that might work. Put that in the shipbuilding hope pile. <laughs> yeah, this is us. Take upon us the form of a servant, because that's what verse 5 says. Take this attitude. Let this mind be in you. We must make ourselves of no reputation. When you get chiseled, a reputation of pride says, ouch, you offend me. But when you have no reputation, you say, what else? What else you got? Hey, while we're here, <laughs> what else can you chisel? While we're here, I mean, I already hurt. Chisel. Sometimes pastors do nick a little close. You'll heal. My wife has cut every one of our kids' ears, cutting their hair. Just one. Then it was me that cut the other two ears. I just remember bleeding, ears bleeding from clippers. I'm like, don't worry, this can't cut. Clip. Oh, ooh, I'm sorry. Those do clip. Those clip little children ears. They've never clipped my ears. And for all the blood, which wasn't a lot, but blood, they still let us come back and cut their hair again because it wasn't intentional. It was an accident and they'll heal. You and I have to be submitted to chiseling so we can be what God needs us to be. Every local church 
needs all their people being lively stones that have been chiseled to be what needs to be. Again, ask yourself, if every stone here was as dependable as you, as polished as you, as faithful as you, as spiritual as you, as mature as you, would this church go up or down in what it can do for Christ? If everybody was as faithful in their giving as you, faithful in their praying as you, if every one of our marriages was like your marriage, would that help the body of Christ or hurt the body of Christ? Now, thankfully, we that are strong endure the, uh, bear the burdens of the weak. That's a biblical commandment, but we don't do it forever because you're supposed to grow up at some point. We don't stay children. We don't stay offended. We don't stay babes. We don't stay carnal. We don't stay emotional. We grow up so that God can do something. He took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself. So there's a lot of coming down. No reputation. Took upon him the form of a servant, humbled himself, became obedient. What we see with God Almighty in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, is down, 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 down. Ultimately down into the grave. And because of all that submission, all that humility, all that selfless servitude, he could be resurrected and given a name above every name. What if every one of us had that attitude as a lively stone? What if this was a local house built out of humility and selfless Christian devotion? Not chasing dreams, not chasing careers, not chasing Instagram accounts, chasing God. Chasing the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to the chisel of the word, the chisel of the sermon, the chisel of prayer, the chisel of the presence of God. God chisels us by the boss. The boss will chisel you. The professor could be your best ally and look at you and say, you're lazy and you're going to flunk my class. And that'd be the voice of God for you. Or you can cop a little attitude. Well, who do they think they are? They don't even like my God. Well, they're helping you Amen. by the hand of your God. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He doesn't need it on business cards, by the way. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in the earth, things under the earth. I want us to see this morning, church. We've got to get over our offense. We've got to get over our pettiness. We've got to become a servant that serves everybody. Not just, we don't look for opportunities or, or be a servant of opportunity. Serve when the time is opportune. Serve when I think there's a reward to be had now. Serve because it helps me brown nose and schmooze. How about serve the widow? How about serve the person who can't repay you? That sounds like the book of James to me. Yes. How about serve those in need? How about, don't just open up the door for Miss Manda. Open up the door for the mamas carrying in their babies. Yes. To me, this is common sense unless we're stuck in some kind of redneck, religious, brown-nosing vibe. That's why we got the chisel out this morning, to chisel off some of the stuff. And once you're set by God, you don't get to come and go as you please. God sets you in a place, and God will take you somewhere else. We have no problem with it, but like this pillar, you don't just disappear overnight with a one-week notice. When all the work we've ever done around here, remodeling all 20,000 square feet of this historic building, it took sometimes the better part of a year to plan, and then sometimes the better part of a year to execute. And we were all aware of it and all felt good about it, though we were angry in the, mo in the moment. <laughs> it's costing me weekends and money. But now look at it. God didn't need it, but it benefited us. 
took true service. So be mindful. The enemy has your number and will look to offend you. Now, let me give you a word on this thing called offense. I think I'm far enough removed past it now to show you how this works. Let me get a little spooky on you. We don't forget there's an enemy that launches fiery darts at us. Some people have gotten really good at holding up the shield of faith. Their mind is so still. When a fiery dart comes, they can recognize it instantly and say, shut up, devil. Just like being totally happy and then some voice say, drive your car off this cliff. No, I just bought this car. Why would I do that? <laughs> Much less as a cliff and death. Some folks, though, their mind is so blah, 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 just full, full of stuff, full of stuff, full of stuff, full of stuff. They'd never know if it was a demon whispering in their ear, the still small voice, or their mama. All right. Well, I think that's enough for this morning. So the lesson is this. Get over your offense. It's a violation of personal pride. So wherever you're offended at, Dr. Barclay would tell you that's where pride has gripped you. Pride comes in many forms, but figure out what it is and, and uh, reject it, repent of it. And also know that when you get offended, especially at your church, your pastor, your elders, or even the gospel, all chiseling in your life comes to a screeching halt. Can you afford that for 10 years? When you get offended at your spouse, your marriage ceases to advance. Can you afford that? No. So then we don't give place to it.